Welcome back to Content Classroom, everyone. I am your host, Sam Futrell, and I am also the president of the Virginia Council for the Social Studies. We are so excited that you are joining us on today's episode, which is all about summer professional development. Today's episode was actually a webinar that we were able to host with a few different organizations back in early February. And we thought, you know, this information is just so important. And I think so many teachers would want to hear it that let's just like make it into a podcast episode. And so I hope that you will find some really uh, amazing opportunities that resonate with you in today's episode. It also has some really great tips for how to make your application stand out among all of the people applying to these programs from across the United States. In addition to this, I just want to give you a quick plug. If you have not registered for the Virginia Council for the Social Studies Conference, do so today. Y'all, I am telling you, the conference is going to sell out. So if you haven't heard, the Virginia Council for the Social Studies Conference is on March 24th and 25th in Richmond, Virginia at the Virginia Museum of History and Culture and the Virginia Museum of Fine Arts. It is going to be an incredible event. We have over 80 concurrent presentations. We have over $5,000 in raffle prizes that we will be giving away. And we also have three incredible keynote speakers. The first is going to be someone that we are announcing actually today for the first time, and that is Kwame Alexander. He will be our Friday morning keynote speaker. If you don't know, Kwame Alexander is a poet, educator, publisher, and New York Times bestselling author of over 36 books. We are so incredibly glad that he is going to be joining us, and he will be followed up on Friday afternoon by Dr. Hassan Kwame Jeffries. Y'all already know him, okay? He is one of our favorite historians of all time, and we cannot wait to get him back at the VCSS conference. And then on Saturday for closing ceremonies, we will be joined by Anna Edwards from the American Civil War Museum. So, like I said, please register today. You do not want to miss out on this. We are anticipating about 450 educators at this conference. It's going to be a good time, y'all. All right. So again, all those links are in our show notes and uh, don't hesitate to send me an email if you have any questions. I hope you enjoy today's episode on summer professional development. Um, so I'll just take a minute before we dive into our questions um, and introduce our guests. So we have Sarah Harris. She is the Director of Education at the National Constitution Center. Welcome, Sarah. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. And then we also have Dr. Jeff Scott, who is the Vice President of Education at the Freedoms Foundation in Valley Forge. Welcome, Jeff. Thanks for having me as well. And then last but not least, we have Lauren Altabelli, who is from the Jack Miller Center, and she runs all of their teacher programs. Um, and she told me her official title earlier tonight, and I've already forgotten it. Lauren, what is your official title? Remind us all. Uh, civics Outreach Officer. Uh, Thank you for the for the nice introduction. Yes. I'll take all the credit for all the teacher programs at the Jack Miller Center. It's just me, <laughs> a one-woman show. <laughs> it's a one-woman show. It couldn't be done yeah. without Lauren. We all know that, obviously. Obviously, um, but we are incredibly excited to have uh, these three guests tonight uh, to be able to take us through what we can expect this summer in terms of professional development. Um, 
I know I am personally addicted to professional development. I have a problem. Like, I think I am going to spend some time talking to my therapist about it this week, in fact. Um, but I love professional development. And we were just talking sort of before we got rolling that, you know, there's so much out there. And so many things that are out there are not only free, but sometimes you're able to get a stipend for those opportunities. But it feels sometimes like you are sifting through just muck to find all of this. And you have to click a thousand links to get to the actual source that you need in order to create that application. And by the time you get there, it can be exhausting. And so our three guests tonight are going to help us uh, kind of whittle some of these uh, different professional development opportunities down and give us some tricks to make our applications awesome. So Sarah, why don't we start with you? Okay. So obviously educators across the nation are required to accrue professional development points in, related, in relation to their teaching license. So as they seek different opportunities, where should they even begin their search for relevant professional development this summer? So I always think that a great place to start is to kind of reflect on what your goals are for your summer experiences, right? So one of the many things that I've learned about professional learning opportunities, whether they're summer or kind of workshops throughout the school year, is that they can't really be everything to everyone, right? So think about what you're looking for. What are you hoping to achieve? Is it kind of something that's focused more on pedagogy or studying a part of your curriculum that maybe you need a little bit more support in or that's new for you, right? Maybe you're teaching a new course next uh, school year. Um, maybe it's just your favorite part of history or something that you love to teach in your curriculum and you're really excited to learn more about it. Whatever it is, use that as a guide to kind of figure out where you wanna apply, right? And most places will kind of share what the goals are for their institutes online as well. So you'll get a chance to dive into what those particular organizations are offering and see if it aligns with your goals too. Um, I think that this is one step that could take a pretty overwhelming pool as we talked about before and really kind of frame your options in a way that can ensure your successful experience, right? Because if you know that where you're applying to aligns with your goals and what you're hoping to get out of it, you're already setting yourself up for success. The other thing that I would suggest is to kind of look to organizations that maybe you've worked with before, or if you're new to the game or kind of want to branch out a little bit, I always suggest social media, right? So I have learned so much from different platforms like Twitter and LinkedIn. Um, and it's just a great way to kind of pose a question out there to the, to the Twitter world or to your teacher networks and really get some honest feedback from people who you know or people who kind of have similar backgrounds or experiences to you. So I think that those places are really good um, to kind of learn about some of these things, especially some of the nuanced questions that might not be represented online, right? Things like stipends, things like hey, is, there, is it a walkable city, right? Is this something that I'm going to need to rent a car for too? Or is it something that I can walk around pretty safely? So posing those types of questions might help kind of whittle down some of those, again, very potentially overwhelming options as well. But I think starting with your goals and reaching out to a trusted community are kind of really two great places to start your search. I love those things because they're just so practical. And, you know, I think that's also what we would tell our students, right? Like start with your, your goals, right? And then decide from there how you're going to actually, um, or what you're going to choose like for that professional development. 
Um, it's so funny you mentioned LinkedIn because I am like resisting the LinkedIn like universe that is trying to suck me in. Um, but I am going to get better at it, I swear. Um, and it's so funny that you mentioned Twitter too, because I think you know, that is a network that I have just sort of gotten into in the past year. And like you said, what's so great about that is you're getting immediate feedback, usually from um, people who have been on the ground in these different places and are able to give you some, you know, real life experience for how these different workshops were. And that's really nice too, because just as, just as there are so many different opportunities for teachers, we also have to be very protective of our time too, right? Like we work very hard. And so we are, you know, I think deserving of really good, strong PD. And um, you definitely don't want to take any time out of your summer, maybe getting into a program that might not suit you, you know, or might not be what you were actually searching for in the first place. So thanks for that, Sarah. Um, so Ben, I think I want to turn to you. You know, you are uh, working with the Freedoms Foundation at Valley Forge. And so you all are getting a lot of applications, I'm sure, for your professional development. And summer PD in particular, because this is obviously a time when most teachers have a considerable amount of time off they are quite competitive, maybe the most competitive of like all the different timeframes that anyone can apply to professional development. So what are some tips maybe that you have uh, as someone who reads applications, probably quite often, um, into how to make their application more successful? Um, well, sorry, oh, I was just going to jump in and say my colleague Ben was supposed to be here tonight. Oh, I'm sorry. Sorry. So I think that question was directed at me, but then you yes. said Freedom Foundation. So maybe you want it to be Jeff, yes. but sorry, go ahead. Sorry, Lauren. Yes, go ahead. Sorry. That's okay. So proof, proof that the Jack Miller Center is not a one woman show. My colleague Ben was supposed to be here instead of me, but I will, I'll answer in his place. I know no Ben. Okay. <laughs> I only know Lauren. Lauren is the only um, person at the Jack Miller Center. <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, for, at least in terms of our applications, and I think applications in general, one of the more important parts is sort of the statement of interest or a, a sort of a short writing section where you're asked to explain why you want to attend this particular program, as opposed to the many other programs that are out there. Um, one thing we look for a lot is just like a seriousness about the program. A lot of PD in the summer is especially intensive. And as people who run PD, we want the participants who are there to be really engaged, really interested, actually spending the time to read the readings and do the activities and all of the all of the pre-work and then the work during the, the institute or the seminar that's required. Um, so making sure that you're expressing that you are serious about the content, whatever the content is, um, and that you're willing to learn and, and engage with new teachers who might teach different subjects than you. Um, often PD will bring together civics, government, history, even some non-social studies teachers and being open to learning from other teachers who maybe teach at different kinds of schools, private, public, religious, uh, like rural or urban, trying to express your desire to just learn, which sounds kind of obvious, but seriously, if, if you can express that you're really eager to learn from all these people who will be at your program, um, I think that's one of the most, um, that's one of the things in an application that would make me want that person at, at a professional development. Um, I also think someone hinted at earlier that Freedoms Foundation might be doing a new teacher specific program. Um, and in that, that's pretty unique. I, I actually haven't heard of that. 
Um, but generally, I think programs look for a variety of teachers, experienced and new teachers so that are, like you're bringing different kinds of teachers together. So just explaining whether or not you're a new teacher and this is your first summer or you've been teaching for 20 years and you're still eager to learn. Um, just sharing as much information about your passion for the subject and learning from other people is, is really what I think is the most useful. Yeah, thanks, Lauren. Jeff, did you want to add anything to that? I kind of cut you off. <laughs> Um, so I think that, you know, what, what you mentioned there, Lauren is so apt because a good cover letter honestly goes such a long way too. if you, if it is an application that's asking you to give a cover letter, um, that is, I think really important in making sure that you're standing out by, you know, adding potential stories about your experience as a teacher. And like you said, showing that you have a willingness to learn. Um, I think, everyone's kind of fear with professional development, at least I would imagine, is getting a cohort who's not really invested in what's what we're what they're talking about, right? And so making sure that that's incredibly apparent in your application, like you said, Lauren, is is so important. Um, yeah, so, oh, yeah quickly, ahead, just one other thing that Sarah actually reminded me of while you're doing research about what you might want to attend and if there's information about the program that's not obvious on a, on a center's website or, or something, just reach out to the email that's listed. It's really, really great to hear from teachers who are interested in attending and might have a question about the program. And if you're able to answer that question and then they decide that the program is right for them and they do apply or they decide it's not right and they don't apply, it saves everyone time. And then you can actually the the people giving the PD can get a sense for who's who's thinking about applying already. So while you're doing the research, definitely reach out to whatever contact is there if you have questions about the program. Yeah, I, that's a really good point too. Uh, last year, I was um, I was applying for a couple of the National Endowment for the Humanities Institutes, and um, we might talk about those in a little bit. But one of the institutes I was interested in was three weeks long, and you know there was like four days where I had another commitment. And so I emailed the director and she emailed me back within, you know, two days and said, Hey, you know, I am sympathetic. We all have so many different commitments, but we need everybody to be there for the whole time. And that's completely fair. And I was glad to know that before I applied, right. So that I didn't use my time or her time, um, like inefficiently. Right. So I think that's a really good point. Um, and maybe Jeff, kind of to add on to this, if you could share, um, like I was saying, you are reading through so many different uh, applications at the Freedoms Foundation. What is the value in teachers investing their time in these applications? Because some of them can be so long <laughs> and very lengthy. And I know I personally have been dissuaded from applying to some programs because of the length of the applications. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that. And uh, again, hello, Virginia. Uh, it's great seeing everybody tonight. And, uh, you know, as somebody that's, you know, taught at every level, and I agree with that, is that sometimes you look at those applications and they can be daunting. And that's one of the things we try to do here at Freedoms Foundation was streamline our application. So we can truly see what you're passionate about and, and it doesn't take you all day to fill one out. Because one of the most, um, I think, frustrating things for teachers is that you take that long on an application and then you get a rejection. 
and uh, it really hurts you. And so we try to do that. But the thing is, whatever zone there, I think the most important thing is that you sit there and you say, okay, what am I passionate about? It's just like Lauren was talking about, you know, showing that interest in being a learner. Uh, that's what we want to see. We want to see that you want to come here and you want to learn, but you also want to add to the conversation uh, because we all bring something to the table. And so that's one thing we want to see is that what do you bring to the table, you know, in terms of your energy, what you've done in your career and so forth. And I think another thing about taking time on your application is reach out to other people. You know, reach out to other people that's filled out applications or contact, you know, like Lauren said and Sarah said, reach out to people uh, because that's the best way. We're all in this together and if we help each other, you know, our experiences are going to be much better. But I would say the value of taking your time is we get to see who you really are. And that's important for us looking through the applications and, and, and knowing that when you come here, you, you're one in a great program and we want to provide you a great program and that you want to take back what you do at the program to your classrooms. That's really what we want to see. Yeah, I think that that's, that's really important. And knowing too that, you know, as, as you all mentioned at the beginning, you know, Sarah, like with the setting goals and, you know, if you have that aligned with your application, then I think that will drive you as well. And also, I kind of personally look at applications or cover letters um, as, you know, I'm going to obviously list the things that I do, you know, professionally and have done and engaged in professionally, but then I kind of pull one thing out of it and use that as almost a case study for like, here's something, here's an example of something that I have done in the past that not only shows, you know, that I'm passionate about learning and that I will engage with the topic that we're talking about, but also shows that I have taken something from a past professional development and actually followed through with it and applied it. Because yeah. for me, like, I, I just know I have heard from some, like the Virginia Museum of History and Culture and like the VMFA and all of these other great organizations, you know, what they love in to see in their teachers is, you know, they love them to see that product, right? And the follow through with like what the, you know, the, I suppose, goal of the entire professional development was, right? They want to see it applied in the classroom. And that's really important too. And so Sarah, I'm wondering for you, each year, many different institutions offer different topics and sometimes multiple topic sessions. So in spite of that fact, what would you say is a common thread from year to year shared among successful applications for these types of PD sessions? Like, what do you see if you could kind of pull a thing or two out? What would you say kind of are the shining stars of some of these applications? <laughs> Yeah, and Sam, I'm actually going to build on what you just said, because one of the things that I always look for in that kind of, you know, golden short answer section of our application, and I'm sure many other applications too, is I look for people who talk about their students, right? And, and you know, if, if your goal in attending a summer teacher institute is to benefit your own learning and pedagogy, that is a, a wonderful thing to share too. 
but add that extra layer of how you're going to take it back to your students. Um, it's just something that one shows that, you know, the things that we're sharing is going to, they're going to kind of increase exponentially, right? You're going to take this, this knowledge to your 150 students or however many students you might have. But what I also like is that it shows those connections, right? It shows that idea of taking knowledge and applying it into this situation. And the reason why I say that specifically, we all know that teachers do that anyway, right? But one of the parts of the Institute, of our institutes that I really love is our focus on classroom application sessions. So to see those types of kind of thought processes already happening in the application shows me that the applicant's going to have a really fantastic and meaningful time during those classroom application sessions. So it shows that somebody is kind of thinking in those terms, kind of working in line with the goals that we have for the Institute and are really going to kind of be an active and engaged member of our programs, right? I am sure that uh, we have all experienced kind of standing in front of a room full of people that aren't participating, teenage or otherwise. Um, and so just kind of getting a little glimpse of that participation in the application itself is something that I always look for. Um, I will also say that it's wonderful to get a sense of who you are, right? Uh, Jeff just kind of talked about that uh, and Lauren talked about it as well, that we want to kind of get a glimpse of who you are as an educator too, right? So Maybe it is kind of sharing your most favorite things to teach about or learn about. Um, maybe it's to share your eagerness to be in Philadelphia, which, you know, I can't blame you for that. Um, but just kind of a, a, an opportunity to get to know who you are as an applicant, because at the end of the day, we are spending a week with you too, right? So we get to kind of get excited to spend this week with you, to engage with you as educators, and to maybe even, you know, future or continue our connections in the future through teacher networks and things like that too. So and that's a lot of things, right? <laughs> so sometimes you do have to, you know, fit everything into 250 words or something like that. But I would also recommend to honor the word limit, right? If you have 250 words, don't write five paragraphs, but also don't write a sentence. So just kind of find that balance of making sure that you're respecting what's there, but also sharing enough that we can kind of get a glimpse of who you are as a person, as an educator, as a learner, all of the above. That's a big ask. I'm really sorry about that. <laughs> but that is the, that's what I look through regardless of topic, regardless of if it's an in-person in, uh, institute or a virtual three-day workshop. That's kind of a pretty consistent through line that I always look for. No, Sarah, I think that's really important. And I, I appreciate the comment about the word limit. I feel that, you know, sometimes it can be frustrating, like 250 words, that's so little. But then also, you know, you all are reading through so many applications. There's a reason why that word limit exists. So I think that's a really practical, important tip. Um, Lauren, what about you? I mean, are there things that stand out, you know, whenever you have been looking through your applications? Anything that sort of catches your eye when uh, you see an application come in? Yeah, I mean, I would echo a lot of what Sarah said, um, especially the the word limit part. I mean, sometimes if, if we have a 250 word limit and someone writes two sentences, like to me, that just says they don't really care. So why would why would we admit them to our program? Um, that's not super common, but if there is a word suggestion or a word limit, try to get as close to that as possible. Um, another thing, um, so this kind of like two separate answers to the same question. If you're a new teacher and you don't have a lot of like classroom experience, I would say trying to demonstrate um, 
like what you studied in school and your interest in the subject, like if you were a history major in college and you're really passionate about this part of history and that's why I want to take this program, or if you were an education major or you were a history major and now you have to teach government or civics and you're you're kind of demonstrating like, oh, I I really like history and I like this subject, but I am I have to teach government next year and I've never taught government. So I want to like build up that knowledge. That's really useful if you're a new teacher. And then if you're an experienced teacher, I always like to see um, someone who's who's done similar types of programs. So if if you're offering a one week institute that's like pretty intensive, I would want to see a teacher who's like, yes, I've done these before. I know the expectations of the work that I have to do to come to this program. I'm not going to be silent the whole time. I'm going to do the readings. I'm going to be vocal, that kind of thing. Because um, I think sometimes young, uh, newer teachers or, or more experienced teachers might feel like they're not the right fit, but I think both, both can work. You just have to, to kind of demonstrate why you're interested and, and the fact that you've done those before, if you have done them before. Um, and the one other thing too, which kind of goes along with the word limit one is to actually answer the question that's being asked of you. Um, sometimes it's really simple, like a statement of interest, which doesn't give a lot of, a lot of framework to respond to, but, um, not directly answering the questions in the application is not useful for the people reading the application. So if, if it is a specific question, do your best to actually answer the question. And if it's a broad question, like a statement of interest, um, or like, tell us about yourself, um, just do your best to give that person the kind of information you would want to receive from someone telling them about yourself. So that's how I would think about it. Kind of like a job interview. It's, it's basically a job interview kind of thing. So what information would you look for from someone if they were applying to your program? Try to offer that to the, to the program. Yeah, I completely agree. And, you know, I think to kind of one of the through lines to what you all have said so far is that you don't really even want necessarily just a participant, you want a stakeholder, like someone who actually has an investment in what you all are producing. And so they're able to contribute back to that, you know, um, I think that that sometimes we can attend. I mean, there's nothing better, obviously, I think, than a teacher. I, as a teacher, I love to just go and sit and learn and, you know, just absorb because I feel all day that I'm sort of putting content out into the world, right? But in reality, these professional developments, like they, especially over the summer, these institutes that are rather intensive, you know, they are the time for you to invest into to this organization. And so I think that that's really important um, and really great advice as well. Um, so thanks, Lauren. Um, so Jeff, let's pretend that you're an educator right now. Okay. You are an educator, obviously, but you know, let's pretend you're in the classroom. Um, what factors would you consider if you were evaluating summer professional development opportunities out there? You know, and like most people on here, you know, I filled out a lot of those applications over the years and uh, looked at what places have to offer. And I will say this, um, the Jack Miller Center, the National Constitution Center are two great organizations, and we love working uh, together as much as possible. And I, I try to look at that. I try to see who you're connecting with. You know, um, who are you bringing in? Um, what kind of scholars do you have coming to your place? What are we going to be doing there? Um, you know, so I look at those kind of things and I look at and say, okay, if I'm teaching U.S. history in 11th grade. Am I going, am I going to be able to go there 
bring back resources that I can use for my students. Also, the cost effectiveness of it. Um, you know, um, us as a nonprofit, we we struggle with that. You know, sometimes, you know, we wish we could give people more. We wish we could pay for everybody's travel to be here all the time. Um, and so we look at that, too. I would look at that. And uh, but it's not always just about the travel. It's about the experience once you're at a place. And um, and so always keep that in mind. So I would also look at um, the experiences of other people. One thing I always try to do, and I know filling out the applications, is I try to find reviews of the place. I try to find other people that's been there. What was their experience like, you know, and uh, did they walk away with something in terms of uh, knowledge and that they could use? So I look at those things. So I encourage people um, as you're applying to go out and, and study the organization, look at how involved they are in the community, and look at what other people's gain from that place. Yeah, that's that's really great advice. And I, I too also consider the diversity that's being offered in terms of like representation, like who is on the board of this organization and who will I be interacting with there? Because like as a white cis woman, you know, I want to make sure that like I am interacting with people who are different than me um, and making sure that that's like a big like value that any organization that I'm working with um, is really caring about and making sure that they are being inclusive um, and that they're studying history in a way uh, that is comprehensive too, right? And is looking at it from multiple lenses and multiple perspectives. So I think that's great advice, Jeff. Um, so let's get a little bit more specific before we open up the floor for Q&A, okay? This is our this is our time for our three organizations to shine. Uh, I want to hear about your professional developments that you all have this summer. And after we do this, um, we will have time for Q&A. So if anyone has a question, feel free to throw it into the chat or you can um, you can unmute when we get to that point and ask the question yourself. Um, but for now, let's start with Sarah. So tell us about the National Constitution Center and what you all have on the calendar for this summer. So we are so excited for the summer. Uh, it is our busiest time, but it is by far the time that energizes me and sustains me the whole other 11 months of the year. So this summer, we are excited to offer four of our own uh, professional development um, weeks or workshops and sessions, I guess. Um, we're also hosting one um, with the Rendell Center as well, which is kind of at the end of the month of July. But here's what we have. And I have my little note card here that I keep up all the time at this point. So we have our first in-person week-long institute runs from July 9th until July 14th. This week is on civil dialogue and constitutional conversations. Civil dialogue is a key part of our educational framework and it's something that we take very seriously. If we follow the same format that we did last year, which I have a sneaky feeling that we will, we will dive into civil dialogue procedures while looking at recent Supreme Court case decisions. So last year, you know, because we were in July, right after the Supreme Court decisions were handed down, we talked about the Dobbs case, we talked about the gun case in New York, and we talked about one more too, and I can't quite remember what that one was, but we have a chance to kind of dive into some of these topics while embracing our civil dialogue procedures and tendencies. During that same week, we also have a virtual three-day workshop. Now, obviously, as we all know, during, you know, the summer of 2020, we 
all embraced our virtual workshops and institutes and things like that. And since returning to in-person, it was still important to us to maintain some of our virtual presence for these workshops. I found that a lot of educators were emailing me and saying how they couldn't come to Philadelphia for a week because of childcare issues or if they were taking care of sick family members or frankly, even with the stipend that we're able to offer, they couldn't afford to come to Philadelphia. So we figured that offering a virtual option was something that would allow for us to kind of meet educators where they are. Um, so we have a three-day workshop that starts on July 10th and runs until July 12th. And that's on Constitution 101, which is our new 15-week curriculum on the Constitution. So that's really exciting. Our second full week in-person institute is on the First Amendment, and that's from July 16th until July 21st. And then we wrap up our own programming uh, with a three-day virtual workshop on the 14th Amendment. Now, that one comes with a caveat, friends. That is only open to members of our Teacher Advisory Council. So we have <laughs> Kim Hammers is on our Teacher Advisory Council, um, but it's a great way that we get to kind of build and maintain the community that we have of our, of our kind of educator network. Now, I wouldn't tell you about that if I didn't also give you an opportunity to join our Teacher Advisory Council. That'd be just mean. So we do have another cohort that's starting in April. If you're interested in any more information about that, email me. I will also put the link in the chat. But those are our four programs that will happen virtually or at the center. And again, I will share all of those links to applications and things like that in the chat. Our applications are live and they're open until February 24th. So we have just shy of a month to still apply. That's what, that's what we have. That's, I feel like I'm out of breath just talking about it, but we're very excited. You're out of breath because it is so exciting and there's so much that you all are doing for teachers and we love that. Um, amazing. Okay, great. So Lauren, let's talk about the Jack Miller Center. What all do you have going on this summer? Sure. Um, so similar to Sarah, I will post links after I do my little description of all these events. So if you have questions, you can always email me, but I'll post some links in the in the chat. Um, so we are earlier, I don't know if everyone is here yet, earlier I said we're sort of still in the process of finalizing dates and locations for a lot of these things, but I can describe to you what the programs will be like, and I will send you the link to where you can find more information about them in the next few weeks. Um, so first, we have, we're going to be working with Christopher Newport University, which I am from Massachusetts and I live in Philly, so my Virginia geography is not fantastic. So I'm gonna say a few different universities are gonna be all over the place. We're gonna work with Christopher Newport University on um, a two or three day institute. So that's a shorter program for us. It'll mostly be on founding principles um, and it will be with professors from Christopher Newport University. Um, all of our programs typically require some amount of pre-reading of primary sources and then the programs themselves are um, conversations and learning with professors either from the universities where they're hosted or we bring uh, professors in. So um, our programs are definitely more academic. We always try to incorporate some classroom application because we don't want teachers walking away with nothing they can use, um, but our programs tend to be more academic. And if you're interested in any of these topics, um, please let me know because we're really, we're trying to grow our programming in Virginia. Um, so we're really excited to be there. We're also going to do a, a five-day institute at American University, which I know is in Washington, D.C., but we kind of scoop American into Virginia. Um, that will be a five-day institute. Last year, it was a virtual institute, so all five days took place online. 
this year. We're hoping it will be in person. We're just waiting to hear from our uh, our professor friend there to make sure we can get the space. But that will be a five day institute. Um, that one will be on the broad uh, subject of the American political tradition. So it will take a really wide look at history, kind of from the Declaration of Independence all the way to the Civil Rights Movement. That's what the topic was last year. So hopefully we'll we'll kind of copy that again um, this year. We're also going to be working at UVA. Um, last year at UVA, we offered a graduate course, which carried three credits. Um, so teachers who participated in that course earned three credits. This year, we're hoping to do that again. If not, it will be a five-day institute similar to the American one. The topic for that course this year, whether or not it's a graduate course or an institute, is going to be slavery and the American founding. Um, we might push it a little further to get all the way up to Lincoln. We're still working with our professor there too, but it will definitely be on slavery um, and Black political thought in the American founding. Um, and then the last program I'll tell you about is happening in Florida, but is it is open to teachers all over the country. Um, it is called, you'll find that the Jack Miller Center really likes this term. It's called our American Political Tradition Institute. Um, it's a new program for us. Last year was the first time we ran it. Um, like I said, it's open to teachers from all over. The application will be up in the next few weeks. So so definitely reach out to me and and um, I'll be able to send you the application. But um, that one will also take, it's five days in the summer at Admiral Farragut Academy, which is on the west coast of Florida near near St. Pete. So if you're familiar with Florida, St. Pete is on the west coast, has gorgeous sunsets. Um, and then after the five-day institute, which again is with uh, professors and lots of primary source reading, we have monthly meetings throughout the academic year to talk about applying what, what we learned over the summer in classes. So in the virtual seminars, all the teachers from the cohort return and meet with a professor from the week uh, during the summer, and we'll share some lesson plans that they've created or curriculum ideas based on the text and ideas that we talked about over the summer. Um, so that's what I have to offer right now. I'm going to post some links in the chat. I will just say my colleague Ben will be at VCSS, um, and we will have lots of lots more information about our, the details of the programs at VCSS. So if you're there, you can get it at, at a table with Ben. Um, and I'm going to post um, a link to our newsletter. So if you sign up for our newsletter, you'll get all the information as well. And I see a question in the chat about who is Jack Miller. Lisa, so I love it. I will Lisa, quickly yes. answer this question, but you can read more about him on our website, which I'll post. Um, Jack Miller is a philanthropist from Chicago, Illinois. He founded uh, a long time ago, he founded the Quill Corporation, which was a, the nation's first mail order office supply company. Um, so he had kind of uh, an American dream story. He's, he loves the Declaration of Independence. Um, so he sold that company to Staples. And uh, now he re he's really passionate about growing civic education. He founded the Jack Miller Center in 2004, um, initially to help support civic education at the college level. Uh, and we still do a lot of work on college campuses, but now since 2016, we've kind of expanded our, our mission to include K-12 teachers in civic education at the K-12 level. So I'll post some links. And again, if you have any questions, certainly send me an email. It was really great to, to talk to all you Virginia teachers. Hopefully I'll see you over the summer. <laughs> yeah, Lauren, thank you so much. And just a really quick question before we move on. Is there a cost associated with it, with those? Or So none of the programs I explained would have a cost. Okay. Um, the only one that could would be the UVA graduate course that requires a $100 administrative fee that goes to UVA that we cannot control. Um, and all the court, all of the opportunities would include a stipend. So they would all be free. Um, the one in Florida, we pay for all travel. So it would be at no cost to the teacher if you're coming from Virginia um, and you would receive a stipend as well. And on all that information will be on our website. Um, and if again, always email, but all the information about stipends and costs would be, would be on our website. 
Perfect. Thank you. Thanks, Lauren. All right, Jeff, tell us what's happening at the Freedoms Foundation. Okay, everybody, who does not want to come out here to beautiful Valley Forge, Pennsylvania and spend <laughs> a week? Okay, nobody should answer no to that. Uh, we're, we're having five on-campus programs this summer, and we are very excited about these. Uh, our first session is going to be over Frederick Douglass, his legacy and impact. Um, we're going to have Dr. Joe uh, Forneri from the Rochester Institute of Technology be with us. He's going to be our lead scholar. We're going to do some amazing things. We'll take a historical excursion down to D.C. during that week. Uh, we'll be going to the Frederick Douglass home, the African-American Museum. And uh, so we're very excited about that and really digging in to Frederick Douglass. We'll be using a lot of primary sources, um, working together. You, you get to meet a lot of um, you, just a tremendous amount of networking. And again, being here at Valley Forge, uh, outside of the Valley Forge Park, uh, here on the beautiful campus of Freedoms Foundation, we'll house you on nice springy beds in our dormitories. Um, and uh, believe me, they do sleep well uh, and everything. So the next week, uh, which starts, uh, which is June 25th through 30th, is, again, somebody was talking about this, is our new Teacher Institute Constitutional History. And I can't tell you how excited I'm about this. I'm taking a chance here because it is somewhat different. I did my dissertation on mentoring new teachers. And like Sarah mentioned or Lauren mentioned, you look, a lot of the new teachers, those teachers in their first few years, have no idea what's out here. We want to introduce them to other people, other places. I know we're, we're taking a group down to the National Constitution Center, um, you know, probably during that week. And we're going to have, we're going to have, we would love to have 40 teachers within their first five years. I've already got mentors lined up for them. Okay. And uh, we're going to have teacher superstars come in and show them how to do lessons that are constitutionally based on a variety of topics in U.S. history. We're starting out with George Washington and the Whiskey Rebellion. Uh, then we're bringing in Dr. Feller, who's the premier expert on Andrew Jackson. Uh, to do a session over Andrew Jackson. Uh, we'll be talking about the Civil War and Reconstruction. Uh, we're going to be talking about the World Wars. Um, uh, Joe Welsh is going to come in and lead a session for us on uh, the World Wars. And then, of course, we're going to have a real Rosie the Riveter with us. And so it's, it's going to be an amazing week, but I'm passionate about these new teachers. If you know any of them out there, please have them contact us we have spots available and love to have them, and we're going to give them a great week. Uh, the third session we'll have is the American Revolution South. It's a traveling workshop where we'll start in Valley Forge, and it's going to be uh, heading down. Uh, we'll go to Mount Vernon, and one of our great friends and partners out there, uh, and then we'll be going down to South Carolina. And so you'll be spending a week traveling, learning about the Southern Theater of the American Revolution. Then our next program on campus is our Medal of Honor Legacy, which is the Cold War. Uh, it's going to be the Cold War focus this year. We're very excited about that. Uh, Steve Knott is going to be one of our uh, session leaders this year. He's going to do a wonderful job talking about JFK and the Cuban Missile Crisis. And we want to make sure that uh, when teachers come here for the Cold War, it's not going to be just about military stuff. It's going to be about the impact on the regular citizen. 
and how it impacted people. And we're going to, one of the things we're working with somebody to come in to show you how to teach the Cold War um, in a respectful manner um, and so forth. And so it's going to be a great week. And we also have a Medal of Honor recipient that'll be with us during that week. So we're very excited. The next session we're very excited about is our Women in American History. It's going to be July 28th through uh, 23rd through 28th. And the interest in this is being just off the charts. This is very important for us uh, to do because the women have made, you know, obviously amazing impacts throughout our entire history. And we need to look at some people that maybe you've never heard of, um, you know, uh, and so we're going to be doing a lot and looking at Alice Paul, we're going to the Alice Paul house uh, during that week. We're going to have great scholars come in and learn about uh, a variety of women from all backgrounds and how to approach that in your classroom. So we're very excited about that. And then our final week on campus will be July 30th through August 4th. We'll have um, Dr. Alan Gelzo is going to be our lead professor. And we're going to be talking about Abraham Lincoln and his life. And our excursion will be Gettysburg. And it's going to be a dynamic week of really digging into Abe Lincoln. And who wouldn't want to do that? And just as I finish here, uh, be look on the lookout, especially you LinkedIn and Twitter friends. We're going to be, and Facebook, we're going to be sending out, we're going to be doing live webinars. Um, uh, short previews for each session starting in February. Thanks, everybody. Uh, we love that. Thank you, Jeff. And if you could not tell just the reason why we have brought these three organizations here is not only because of the depth of the historical content that you will get at each of these um, professional development institutes, but just the breadth of what they're offering. I mean, these are multiple institutes run by these three organizations. I am astounded. I mean, I knew it before we came in here, but I'm just still blown away by the incredible work you all do. I mean, that is so much effort um, behind the scenes to get all of that orchestrated. So I just wanna thank you all for that. And then one quick thing, I just wanted to make a comment before we go into questions, um, especially off of like what Jeff was saying about mentor teachers coming into these institutes, that can be a really great opportunity for teachers as well. When you attend institutes and you're able to actually get involved in them and you really connect with the people there like Jeff, Sarah, and Lauren, um, sometimes they invite you back and you get to come in and be sort of a mentor teacher. And so it's uh, it's a really great opportunity. So that's just another you know additional reason to just really engage in these sessions. Like whenever you go, um, that can be a really fun thing too. Um, so yeah, let's go over to some questions from the audience. So uh, Kim, yeah, we'll go to you first. Okay, question for the experts here. Um, I teach government now, strictly government. Um, and I see a number of summer PD sessions that I know are geared more towards the history courses, but I would love to attend. I always wonder whether I should apply or not. It because most of these applications will ask what you currently teach or what you may be teaching in the following year. And I always just kind of wondered, is, is my, no offense, I don't know how to say this in the right way, but uh, is my application inherently discounted if my, my course load is government 
and it's a, a history session, you know, it says something on, um, there's a great uh, naval ship session out in California that I would love to do. But I, I don't apply because I kind of feel like maybe I'm not even in the running. What do you guys think? So I can I, I can share a little bit about our experiences. I used to teach U.S. history, right? So um, I, I, and it wasn't until I started at the center that I even knew that like there was this idea of kind of oh I teach government so I can't do history stuff or oh I teach U.S. history so I can't do government stuff. And I think at least from my perspective. I, you know, I look for those connections, right? If you teach government and you're applying to the First Amendment week, that makes sense, right? You're, the stories that are there are going to translate regardless of what you teach. And I, I know that we kind of shared this a little bit before too, but we also look for English teachers or, you know, there's a journalism teacher who has applied and come and added such a wealth of knowledge to our, our institutes as well. Um, and I, I know that we kind of had a question and a discussion about investing your time in the application process. But I, I think if it's not, you know, a 50 page long application, I think if you can make those connections and make the case for attending a, a program like that, you know, we would, at least I would, you know, review it and not necessarily say, oh no, she doesn't teach the right course or anything like that. I think that so much of history and government kind of transcends that rigid box uh, that I'm always interested to learn from those teachers who kind of teach something that I hadn't thought about and kind of recognize the value that they add to that program as well. Yeah, I'll also jump in and just say in, in our programs in particular, we always look, try to get a mix of, of people. We would never discount someone just because it's a more government or more history course. We're trying to get teachers to interact with each other um, who, who don't always teach those those courses. And another thing we I've learned, so I've never been a teacher. I think I'm the only person on this call who's never been a teacher. Um, but I've also learned that teachers are assigned new courses sometimes at random. Um, you, you're asked to teach a course because a teacher in your school left or, or something happens and you're asked to teach at another school or something like that. So we would never discount someone just because they're teaching history this year, but next year they're teaching English. Like, please come to our, our programs anyway. Um, and another thing I'll say too, which I think is true of probably the Freedom Foundation and, and the NCC, a lot of our programs are, are heavily based on reading and talking about primary sources. And a lot of the same primary sources can be used in a civics class, in a US history class, even in a European history class sometimes, or in a government class. So um, I would not count yourself out just because you might not teach history. Definitely apply if you're interested in the program. Yeah, I feel the exact same way. And we have uh, one thing I, I think it's been so important for us to really do is add those activation sessions after we have a scholar so forth to allow uh, our participants to get together, create materials, look at a variety of ways to use the materials. Um, and again, we're more civic based here, even though we, we talked about um, aspects of U.S. history, it's all going to come back to the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, leadership, those kind of things. So certainly we would want government teachers here as well as U.S. history teachers. But let me tell you something else I think is just as important. One thing I'm trying to work on, and by teaching at all the levels, hitting our elementary teachers are so important. We're going to try to work really hard to do a better job of resources for elementary teachers. We've got to get our civics stronger at the elementary level. And I know some organizations do a wonderful job with that, but we'd love to have more elementary teachers here so we can also adapt what we're doing to their classes. 
Those are all such great points. And Jeff, I am so glad you're adding elementary um, content because I think that is so, so needed. Um, you know, our elementary teachers just continue to get overlooked in so many different avenues. And honestly, they are, they're my heroes. I can never teach elementary personally, um, but they have to be experts in so many different fields. Plus they have to be, you know, a caregiver, I think in a way that some other teachers don't have to be, you know, at the older levels. Um, so I think that that's really important. And, you know, too, I think um, if one other question that Laura had put in the chat was um, do all of your programs, do you have to be full-time teaching or, and Laura, you can ask it if you want to. Yeah, I just saw you come back. Oh, in. sure. I put it in the chat just because I was also dealing with some child homework issues. But yes, so first of all, is there a full-time requirement? Second, is there ever any room for instructional coaches? Maybe if there's extra space left over, um, I know for myself, I feel like I bring a lot back to my teachers that I work with on, you know, a, a twice a week basis, but it's not quite the same as being in your own classroom. Um, I, I would say just, I would explain that in the application. Um, again, it's kind of a situation where I'm not sure you would be immediately discounted just because you're not a full-time teacher, but if you explain in your application that you're not a full-time teacher, but you work with teachers on a regular basis and you're trying to support them in using these kinds of materials or engage their students in this particular way, um, I, I, we've had um, sort of supervisory level people participate in our programs before, and they're often a, a good a good different perspective from, from the rest of the 20 or so teachers in the Institute. So I would just do your best to explain that in the application. Um, and unless it's a really strict place, I'm not sure they would immediately discount you because I mean, you have a different kind of perspective to add to the conversation. So I would still suggest you, that you apply. Yeah, I totally, uh, I totally agree with that. You know, as somebody that went into uh, developing curriculum and leading PDs for teachers, I certainly wanted to keep going to things because I know what I could bring back and help them with. And matter of fact, a couple of our mentor teachers are instructional leaders. And so uh, typically, you know, for the, the sessions themselves, we certainly um, um, look to the K-12 teachers as the first line. And then, obviously, with uh, different spots, or we're looking at uh, things you put in your application that's saying, hey, I can do this when I go back, blah, blah, blah. And certainly, we look at that. So, as Lauren said, there's no way that would be discounted, yeah. Agreed. I feel like it's just worthwhile to say yes to that as well. Um, and I think it's it's also one of the things that we found um, was beneficial for offering the virtual programs too, right? Because sometimes instructional coaches have a little bit of different schedules. Sometimes they're 12-month employees as opposed to 10-month employees, depending on where they are. Um, so it was really important to us, again, to be able to offer that opportunity for people who you know, were in a traditional full-time teaching um, situation as well. So um, that's one of the reasons why we made sure that we kept the virtual programs kind of on our list too. Um, but I think that if it's kind of explained in the application and we kind of see that, that willingness to share those things with your teachers and things like that. Again, it, it won't just immediately move you to the no pile for sure. Great, yeah, thanks I so much. That was very insightful. 
Yeah. I feel like it's like all about selling yourself, right. And being able to sell like what you can bring to the table and, you know, instructional coaches. I mean, I think they offer so much, you know, they're able, like, if you're kind of thinking in like a trickle down economy situation, they're able to come back and bring that and disseminate it to many more um, teachers who can then disseminate that those ideas to their students, right. And then apply it in their classroom. So that can be really advantageous too. I'm glad you asked that Laura. Um, are there any other questions um, from the group? Yeah, Kim, go ahead. I'd like to piggyback off what Sarah mentioned earlier in terms of teacher council opportunities. I know Summer PD is our focus this evening, but uh, I have had some wonderful professional development experiences, one of them being with the National Constitution Center and the Teacher Advisory Council. Sam, earlier you mentioned working with Retro Report, which you know we're both um, uh, a part of that team as well. So for our teachers attending tonight, those are year-long opportunities to grow your professional development, uh, to grow your professional network. Um, Sarah also mentioned opportunities that are exclusive to uh, these teams that support the work of these learning institutions day in and day out throughout the year. And I promise you as a participant, uh, these institutions work really hard, not only to support you, but to make the work that we do in collaboration with one another very manageable. They certainly understand that you know you are a full-time classroom teacher, uh, as Sam said, you know, caring for the youth of America. Um, so please don't uh, think of the time commitment as overly daunting, uh, but rather consider the value of being involved. Uh, and many, many different uh, social studies connected institutions out there offer these uh, types of opportunities. So, you know, it's definitely something that I can offer a, a firsthand um, suggestion that uh, you all who are looking for outstanding PD opportunities to consider aside from those summer opportunities that we've discussed this evening. Yeah, thanks for that, Kim. I, I echo that too. You know, any advisory council that you have the bandwidth to be a part of, I think is really, really valuable. Um, whether it's National Constitution Center, I'm part of Retro Report. Uh, it's just really nice to have those connections kind of like that continue throughout the year um, and kind of build you up uh, as you are in the classroom. So I think we have time for maybe one more question if it's okay with our, our guests and, um, and then we'll uh, dis dismiss everyone like I'm in class or something. Um, <laughs> but I think maybe we'll end with Lisa's question. So Lisa, did you wanna unmute or would you rather me ask your question? Happy to do either way. Oh, yeah, sure. Um, I just was wondering a little bit about the kind of the logistics of how um, applications are read and sorted. And if if we apply this year and don't get accepted, if you had any tips for trying again next year. Maybe Sarah, do you want to start? Sure. So Lisa, those are all fantastic questions and I can kind of run down all of them again as they apply to the center. So what we'll do is uh, after 
February 24th. So once our applications close, that's when we look through all of them. It just kind of makes the process a little bit more manageable. Um, we have a couple of people on our education team that will uh, look through all of the applications. And we also kind of have, for lack of a better word, a rubric that we use just to kind of gather information about everybody. And the reason why we do that is because we don't just do yes or no. So we have a wait list for our programs, for our in-person programs. And so what we do kind of throughout that process is we will send out a wait list notification if that's where you happen to fall. Um, and then we'll set a date for when you will hear by. So if somebody who is accepted can no longer participate, we have that wait list that we move through as well. And so your, your question about kind of not getting accepted one year reminded me of that, that I wanted to share that it wasn't kind of an all or nothing thing where our programs are concerned. Um, and I think the recommendations uh, just, you know, for any future applications would be, I mean, the, really the only thing that would change is that kind of short answer portion of your uh, application, right? Um, so sometimes it just comes down to one or two words that we're looking for or that kind of is driving that short answer portion. Sometimes too, it, it comes down to, um, you know, the, the pool of applicants as well. Maybe we just happen to have, you know, out of the, the 40 people that we can take, maybe, you know, we saw an influx of applications from Virginia and we just can't, you know, justify accepting 95%, of, you know, Virginia educators as much as we might love to. Um, but, you know, sometimes it just kind of comes down to those types of decisions too, which really stinks, but, you know, that kind of changes year to year, at least on our end as well. So th that can, that's my advice for kind of how that whole entire process works. Um, I, I would echo what Sarah said. We also would look at everything after the application closes, um, just for just because it doesn't make sense to make decisions until the the date has ended. Um, and in terms of of if you don't get accepted one year and then you do you want to try again next year, um, I would reach out to the people and say why didn't I get accepted? Um, that that we had that. Uh, exact instance happened to us last summer for our, our APT program, um, the one that happens in Florida. We had too many people who applied. Um, we actually it got to a point where we wanted, we were down to a few spots left and there were some really, really great applicants. So we opted to interview some of them. Um, we just did a really short video call. Um, we got to talk to the teachers a little bit more and it really helped us decide who to accept and who to pass on. Um, and one teacher who we passed on emailed us after and said, hey, can you just tell me why you didn't accept me? And we emailed her back and we told her why we went with other people. Um, it had to do with a lot of reasons of what Sarah said, people applying from multiple places and then sort of too many from this one place. And, and it, we just were trying to get um, as diverse a group as possible. So it kind of came down to that. I'll also say that we at the Jack Miller Center, the diversity we're going for is mostly like type of school and geography. So never feel like you're being discounted because of your gender or race or something like that. I, I assume that's true for freedoms and NCC too, but I just wanted to say that we would never make a decision based on that. Um, but definitely reach out if you don't get accepted and, and ask why. I'm sure anyone at any of these organizations would be willing to kind of explain the process a little more, a little more deeply at that point. Yeah, I'll just jump in there real quick. And a lot of what these ladies said, it's the same with us. Now, we have a little bit different. Um, uh, we have a rolling application. So, if, um, you know, our, it, you know, we're going to send out uh, acceptance starting February 28th, but if we have spots open, 
we'll let people know and you, you're still able to apply. Uh, we do have a team that looks at the applications, but, you know, for us, it makes sense to look at them earlier because like, uh, you know, we can have 50 spots session, but we've already got 97 applicants from one of these seminars. So what we do, you know, that second choice is very uh, important because we don't want somebody waiting all that time. And it's like, okay, some of our funding has to go to certain ways, you know, being a nonprofit, we have to uh, have some of our funding go to certain areas. If, if some people's donated money and they said, hey, we need teachers from this area to come there. Well, we can't spend that money on other things. You know, I like being transparent. I don't want people to um, wonder. And so that's why that second choice on there is very important because we think all our programs are great. And if we see we've got 97 people already um, looking to go to one program, then I'm going to start reaching out to some people and saying, look, here's the reason why would you go ahead and consider the second one? And because we love everybody, we want everybody to come here to Freedom's Foundation and enjoy what we have. I love that. And I think that's really, that's really helpful to know, Jeff um, and Lauren and Sarah. I think all of those, you know, little caveats are, are good to know about each institution and to know that while there are similarities, you know, it's important to make sure we read the fine print, right? And that if Jeff has a rolling application, it's so helpful to know that, get it in the earlier, the better. But also good to know, too, that, you know, at some institutions, we might can sort of like save it in our pocket and work on it a little bit here and there and prioritize our time in that way. So that's really good to know. Um, so I'm going to wrap us up here. Everyone, thank you so much for joining us. Um, and I especially want to thank Jeff, Sarah and Lauren for coming tonight and offering your time and your expertise. Thank, Thank you, you for so having much. us. Good luck this summer. Please yeah. email us with questions. Let us know, but good luck. <laughs>